Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, November 7, 2017. We turned the clocks back today here in the United States, which means the holidays are fast approaching, and soon we'll be bringing in a new year. Soon, but not yet. It's also election day here, which we have to get through first, and at airtime, it remains to be seen if, if any of it is going to mean a darn thing. Ugh. Hey, if this was Instagram, I'd put up a kitty video or photo t- for distraction, but it's the radio. We're on the radio here, so I'll start us off at one of my favorite feel-good bands of all time. Sing along. Are they singing your name? We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the B-52s with 52 Girls from their 1979 self-titled album, The B-52s. Oh, I just love that album. I, it, it, to me, it's just like it's a party in your pocket. Anywhere you go, you just pull it out and you start playing and people start dancing. 
That's what we need. We need more dancing in this world. Hey, now that the cabaret laws from New York City have finally been rescinded, yes, they're going to sign that into effect pretty soon, and more than three people will be able to move rhythmically in a bar. Imagine that. It's been a long time coming. But those racist, archaic laws date back to 1926. And speaking of dates, I just realized today is November 7th. And you know what that means? That means it's been a full year since I started doing this show. And I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. I knew nothing, nothing about putting together a radio show when I first began this. And some of you listening might say, huh, she still doesn't. To which I counter, hey, at least I'm walking my walk along with talking my talk. To date, there have been nearly 50 guest artists featured on this show. 50 so far. And we have another one for you this week. And next, we're going to keep it going with this song, chosen by this week's guest artist to open their episode.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Taylor Dane with Tell It To My Heart from the album of the same name. Once again, another eponymous album back in 1988. Wow, I didn't realize we were having a dance party with this episode. Woohoo! Well, now it's time to sit down a little bit and uh, snuggle up and listen in because right now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Everybody. Welcome to Fish Out of Aqua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! Every week I say this is my favorite part of the show because it is, because I get to sit for a while with a performer who I really admire and like, you know, I just met her, kind of, so I can't really say that she's my favorite yet, but I bet you after this this episode is up, she is going to be my favorite. So please welcome the Fish Out of Agua storyteller producer and things that I don't know that she does that she's going to tell us about, <laughs> Becca Bebaragi. Hello. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, totally. It's Bebaragi. Oh, Bebaragi. Okay. Yeah, Bebaragi. It's a uh, Sicilian, um, but that's all that I, I own as a Sicilian So are you Italian-Rican or a Sicilian-Rican? Well, I'm Ecuadorian, Puerto Rican, Italian. Wow, that's yeah. a mix. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's like the quintessential, that's going to be the new quintessential New York mix. Yeah. Like it used to be like um, Irish-Italian mm-hmm. or Jewish and Puerto Rican. Like, um, oh my God, what was that show? Uh, Welcome Back, Cotter? You, you yeah, heard of that show? Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it. Well, obviously. I no, no, no. Because <laughs> no, you're pretty I young. I'm 25. Oh my God, no. Your parents, your parents might not even have watched it. I don't know. They might have been like, junior high school whatever I don't know I mean but I, I do remember the name yeah wait, whatever. whatever what does that even mean I don't know I'm just trying to go along with it <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I don't know what this before my time I guess, <laughs> no I, I guess the whatever uh, circuitous point that I'm, I was I was trying to make is just New York City and like intermarriage and it's awesome and <laughs> Well, well, my yeah. dad is the Puerto Rican Italian one, mm. and then my mom was actually born in Ecuador. Oh, okay. So she came here when she was a kid, about four years old, and then. But my dad had was born in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Born and raised, and um, yeah, like, but he grew up with his Puerto Rican mom, and uh, yeah, that's basically it. But I identify more with my Ecuadorian family and my Ecuadorian side because I grew up with my my grandparents who are Ecuadorian from. Ecuador and like we lived across the hall from each other. And, wow. Yeah. Have you been there? I haven't. I really do want to go, but I haven't gone. It's really cool to be able to walk down the streets that your forebears came from. Yeah. I, I went to I went, went to Cabo Rojo, which mm-hmm. is a town that my father's family is, is from, mm-hmm. and my last name is not that common here, uh-huh. but when I went there, it was like 17 pages in the phone book. And you saw Carlo everywhere. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating. I remember not 17. No, 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 but it, and it was like Carlo Mofongo, Carlo Hardware, and Carlo Bakery. It That's was like great. Carlo, 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 Carlo. Yeah. Well, my, my mom's um, maiden name is Venegas. So, like, when I see that come up on, like, Facebook or anywhere, like, I'll just Google the name sometimes. I'm like, how are there more Venegas? <laughs> like, oh, but, my yeah. God. So let's talk about how we met. 
asked people met because I've had some people on the show that I've known for over 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's And, cool. you know, it's really cool to have people that you've known for barely 20 weeks or yeah. whatever. But I know it was the beginning of the summer, mm -hmm. and there was a Times Square Storytelling Festival. Yeah. Which, when I got to it, I have to admit, I was just like, what is this going yeah, to yeah, be, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, but it ended up being great because I met you. Mm -hmm. Like, Jen. Yeah, it was like it was like story love at first sight. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, what's your name? Just coined that term. What's your, your story love? What's your I, name? I think I remember, like, seeing you and just, like, going to you and touching your arm and being like, I love you. Oh, my God. I think you did do <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, my God. And then you were like, you, find me on Facebook. And I'm like, I will do that right now. <laughs> and I think you already had done it. <laughs> I know, because I'm creepy. Yeah. Stalker. Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So, but it, it was it was amazing that, and I also got in touch with another person, Vernon mm -hmm. Payne. Do you know him? Um, no, maybe. He, was, mean, he was there that night, and um, he, I had him on the show. Was he the one that did the an excerpt from his solo show? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was really. Yeah. Really yeah. 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 I yeah, really yeah. enjoyed that one. Like that a show. A lot. I have a habit of not preparing things when I go to do a show. Like if I get booked on a show, I'm kind of like, unless it's like my solo show that I'm working on or it's like my comedy, my stand-up set, I don't really plan my stories. Um, I kind of let, which is probably not the best, but I kind of let myself be inspired by what's happening in the moment. Um, but when I heard like your story and there was this other girl who told a story about um, she about like the pool and her, her uh, brother being called a, a racial slur by her like white friend when she was a kid mm. like that that moved me so much that it, it just like it, it made me want to tell like a really raw truthful story about myself that I've never told before I mean I recorded I thank god I recorded that story so I can tell it again right because if, if you just like come up with something and, and then it's gone and sometimes yeah. you can't you, you can't you can't get it took like all four levels at UCB but I I find it really hard to be in the moment with people in a classroom setting that I don't know, because mm. I feel like in the, I don't know if you've ever taken classes Yes, there, I, like, I took classes at Gotham City Improv years ago. So like, it's cool, I like it. It's very, as a, as a person of color, in that kind of environment, I've learned that there's a little bit of like bias of what people find funny especially in those communities. Interesting. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Well, I feel like maybe it's just me that I can't, certain certain kinds of humor I can't find funny or I don't relate to, and then I come up and I, I don't feel, I guess I don't feel comfortable with showcasing my kind of humor in those settings. And that's, you know, comes from like my insecurities or just like my life of being told to like, be as white as possible, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I did it. I, I got some tools from the, the program. I can't say that I would be eager to join an improv team at this time in my life, but I like watching improv. <laughs> Improv's great. Yeah. Improv's really difficult. To do improv really, really well mm -hmm. is a skill that I do not have, yeah, and it same. is a skill I greatly admire. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, I think that that year that I spent really studying it and learning that I was kind of sucky at it, yeah. it, but it, it, like, there were things that you took with you mm -hmm. and I think it, it just ended up making me a better performer in the long run. Definitely, you know what I mean? Definitely. Because I have that yes and thing in my mind mm -hmm. where I can come up with stuff on the spot and it's maybe yeah. it's not 
doing a Harold or a scene thing, yeah. but it's still useful. On to the next thing. Okay. So you're a solo performer, stand-up, and a storyteller. So you're a triple S threat. Yeah. So how did this all start for you? Where did Baby Becca get her start? Did you come out of Did you come out of the womb like? making shows in your house and like yeah 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 I mean I'm just a very restless person I hate being still doing anything my, my nickname growing up was called my dad used to call me roadrunner or he'd say you have roaches up your ass <laughs> oh my god cucaracha and culo yeah he was like you have roaches up your ass because I was always running around everywhere and you know my, my beep beep we, I know exactly exactly um we, we were just a really artistic family. My, mm. my brother, sister, and I played a lot of music when we were growing up. My parents met, um, they're not together anymore. My parents met um, through work. My mom was, my dad was a social worker and my mom did something along the same lines as that. And they actually met over the phone, which was just like the Tinder of their days. Oh, and you mean like one of those 1990s chat? Yeah. Like 1-800 Well, they were chat? like at work with each other. And then like he called a Dolores to like yell at another Dolores about something that happened concerning their jobs. And then it happened to be the wrong Dolores and it was my mom. So he basically he called your mom and yelled at her and she fell in love? Well, I mean, that's like, <laughs> what a statement to their future, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she didn't say yes because she was, you know, she was taking a break. She was, I think she was like 23 when they met. He was about 12 years older than her. Um, but he kept telling her that he loved her voice. And then eventually, oh. you know, they went out and yeah. See, and that's something that's missing from meeting people today. Mm -hmm. You know, because like when people spoke on the phone because that was it. You yeah. spoke on the phone, or maybe you had a beeper, but you can't speak to a beeper. I, I remember you know I mean? beepers. Yeah, I remember beepers. <laughs> oh my god, I remember beepers. So and um, nine one seven beeper. I know for but real. You would ha you would talk to somebody a lot when you first started like yeah. dating them or seeing them, and people definitely made emotional connections to people's voices. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how, like, radio DJs are, like, so beloved because, like, people fall in love with the voice and then they, and then they if they go to an event and they meet the DJ, the DJ looks like Jabba the Hutt. And yeah, <laughs> I know. They're like, this is a mistake. <laughs> or, 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 or like Jack Skellington or something. I know, right? You know, and, like, the, but the voice is just, like, silk upon silk. Mm -hmm. And, like, now people are, like, always texting. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, uh, eggplant, peach, taco. Yeah. Right? You basically. Know, droplets. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what my life is. No, um, I actually met my boyfriend online on Tinder. And uh, one of the first things I said to him was just like, I sent him a Snapchat being like, talk into, I was like, send me a video of you talking. Because I like oh, wanted to make God. sure. That's smart. I, I wanted to make sure that I liked his voice. Listen, girls. <laughs> listen. Or boys. Everybody. Listen to dating advice. <laughs> Dating advice from, from Becca, like, get get the video. Yeah, no, I'll get the video, and, like, because I really liked what he was saying, uh, we were just, like, fucking shooting the shit, and um, I was just like, show me, sh let me hear your voice, and he sent a video that was really cute, saying, no, I'm not going to show you my voice. Oh, yeah, but I, I thought it was really cute, yeah. Oh, that is so cute. I think, I think human connection and, and also just, like, sounds are so important, you know, like, it's... Yeah. I love talking on the phone with people because you can you can hear if they're being truthful or not. You know, I, it's been said that sound is the last of the of the senses to leave your body before you transition to the next world. Really? I mean, that's I, I believe that because people I've, I've I've heard that like when people are like in comas or mm. like when they're coming out of deep 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 anesthesia, 
sometimes they're the caretakers, the nurses, whatever, will warn you to like be careful what you say because even if the person doesn't seem responsive, they could hear you. Yeah. And I can I can relate to that because when I was uh, eight years old, I was paralyzed because I had a stroke and I went into a coma for you, wait, a little bit. You had bit. a stroke I when you did. were eight years old. Yes. Get. I'm not gonna leave. No, oh, no, I don't want you to leave. I was like, oh my god, how, how what? Eh, eh, eh. It's just like a freak accident. My arteries are small. Like it, it comes from you. Being that I'm, I'm a restless person. I was born um, really, really tiny. I look like I was preemie, but I wasn't. I just ended up wrapping myself up in my mother's umbilical cord, so I stopped getting nourishment. So then they had to rip me out of her body. And then, um, you know, I was just like, uh, uh, my body wasn't fully developed. You know, my arteries, my neck, and, you know, my, my fingers and stuff like that. So when I was eight years old, I you did a cartwheel. I think that's what happens. I did a cartwheel, and I ended up like a blood clot got lodged in my oh, vertebral artery. Oh my god! And um, yeah, like I had started getting, I had seizures since I was born. Like every couple of years, I would have them. You epileptic? Not necessarily. I would just like it would it would just kind of happen every two years. It was like an anniversary of having one seizure. I have not had them since I was uh, six years old. But, um, yeah, and then one day I, like, fall in the shower, and then, like, my whole life kind of started from there because, like, my whole life has been me recovering from that and, like, moving on with, like, all the nerve damage in my body and, like, trying to survive every day and not, like, let my weakness and my fatigue control me and stuff like that, yeah. So it's a case that where you look fine, but you have issues going on that people can't see. Yeah, I, I'm, a re I'm really good at, well, I, I'm really good at faking. Because you look I'm healthy. Fine. Thank you, you look, so much. You, no, you, I mean, you look totally, picture of friggin' like youth, vitality, and health. <laughs> this girl's skin is having such a glow that if I was not a moral person, I'd be sacrificing her now and, and, and putting her blood on my face. No, oh no, my no, God. and I wouldn't do that. I mean, but that's. I'm not Game of Thrones. I'm, oh my God, that's <laughs> no, so. Did no, you no, watch I, the new season? No, I have yeah. never watched one episode, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just guessing. It if you haven't seen Why it? not? Oh my God. They, 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 it's, it's like medieval, like it's like Lord of the Rings, like all bad, and they kill each other a lot. Lord of the Rings meets incest. That's yeah, all you need yeah. to know. And like, oh, oh, I know that there was this episode where there was a wedding, and like everybody got everybody died. Yeah. So you know. it's, I'm, my boyfriend and I were, were deep, deep fans, and it took us a while, but we're pretty, um, we're pretty. Into okay. Well, it. well, thank you for for GOT shaming me. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though I'm wearing a T-shirt that has dragons on it. I know. It, whatever. Kidding. I'm sorry for shaming you. <laughs> no, no, nah, it it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, so tangent. This is I'm calling this the tangent episode. Okay, yes, it's yes, going yes. Over. okay. So you always were doing some sort of performance, but then at the age of eight, you ended up having a major health setback. Yeah. And how long did it take you to fully recover from that? Did, I, was it like really like a question that you might not survive? So the thing is, after I had two strokes. One, um, I fell Jesus. in the shower, and then the second one paralyzed me on the day that I was actually supposed to be discharged from the hospital, because they were like, you're fine. Like, none, my mom told the doctors, like, she's having strokes, stroke symptoms, but they didn't believe her, because she's a woman, and she doesn't know anything. And um, Yeah, she's a woman of color. Yeah, woman sorry, of color. I'm sorry, no, I went I'm, there. I'm, I went I'm, there. I'm being real. The things that I've heard doctors say to her when I was in the hospital really just rattle my bones to this day um, because she was right 
you know? Of course she was right. She's a, she's your mother. Yeah. Mom, yeah, moms yeah. know. Yeah, they do. And um, she's also extremely psychic. So, <laughs> but, um, so it's, I have not fully recovered. I have chronic fatigue on the left side of my body. And um, I have nerve damage. I have arthritis. I'm, I think I'm developing some sort of like fibromyalgia kind of thing in my arms and my legs. And I'm pretty much in pain most of the time. Um, on the left side of my body and it's it sucks because like when I was in the hospital after my second stroke the doctors told me they were like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys sh they told my parents you should probably get her a wheelchair because she's never gonna walk again she's gonna be a vegetable for the rest of her life and they said that in front of me and I remember thinking and you were eight years old yeah, yeah. And, I, and I remember thinking like these fucking assholes what are they saying to me you know and like like would these, they say that in front of their daughter it, probably not you know but these are Ugh. these old fucking white guys say it that say I'm, it they, i mean that's, that's, that's what they were guys, and that's that's who they were um and i remember being don't worry like, they won't be listening to the show I'm i sure. mean they probably are dead already but i <laughs> i you know i remember thinking like they're wrong but it's it's always been really hard like it's it's I wanted to walk so bad that I actually one time got up because I was able to move my left, my, my right side, not my left. So I would like try to stand with my right side and then like pretend my left was working because I'm eight years old. Like I have a, a big imagination and I would fall every time. But every time I would be like, there's something that's going to happen that I can move again. And one day like my pinky like moved a little bit and they were like, oh, maybe they'll, we'll invest in therapy for her. Because they weren't doing any sort of therapy for me before that. They were like, okay, she's going to be in the bed. They, they would have this, like, um, neck brace around my neck that I hated so much. I, I, I felt so confined. I felt so violated to have this neck brace. And I would cry, and the nurses would be like, oh, you, you, you're going to be careful. You can't move this way. And I'm just like, I'm not going to move. Just try, I just wanted to be like, trust me, I'm not going to move. I just feel like I'm in a cage right now. You know? And it was really hard because like, I was always running around, and I was always painting pictures, and I was always just like singing songs and stuff. And then suddenly everything was like, no. You can't do that anymore. When did that come back into your life, the creativity? The thing is, it was kind of always there. I remember the Was first, it part of your recovery? Did you like make sing to yourself and make things up for yourself? All the time. And my mom was a huge part. She, would, she got me um, oil pastels that are easier to smudge, mm. and she would make me draw pictures and paint with my left hand. My, my sister, brilliant. She's, she's amazing. My older sister, who's like my other mom. How old she, is she? She is, uh, she's four years older than me. She's 29. She's a brilliant, brilliant musician, uh, violinist, and she taught me how to play violin again. And she like was 12 Wait, years Wait, you play old. violin? I do. I, I'm, I'm very bad at it now. Oh but my God. She, no, but you, no, if you can do it, you can do yeah, it. Yeah, I can fake it probably um she taught me um she was she was 12 years old she would keep a journal she was basically doing musical therapy on me at 12 years old and taught me how to play again and that was another form of my uh, form of exercise for me so the best therapy was probably like the violin and with the pastels with your left mm -hmm. hand i love your family can yeah. we, like when you see them can you just give them giant hugs from like yes. this unknown lady I will. And, and then they're gonna be like why are you hugging me so hard and then you'll be like fish out of agua told me to no don't like, even say I'd that i'd be like you don't you don't need to know just accept it yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah so 
so you were homeschooled. So mm -hmm. the, through high school, you were homeschooled. Yeah, yeah, I was. Wow. Are yeah. your parents like religious or something? They're, my dad. The thing is that my dad is a very controlling, abusive man, Ooh. and he. Ooh. I'm sorry. Really, oh no, it's fine. I mean, live your life, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm okay now, but he really just was such an unhappy person that wanted control over everybody, especially women. So he convinced my mom and convinced everybody. He was like, we need to keep them home. And um, in hindsight, like half and half, I'm like, okay with the homeschooling choice. And the other half, I'm like, why would you do that? And that's like a conflict I have in my life with my family. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I was able, because of the homeschooling, I was able to do all the arts things. I was able to right. paint. I was able to yeah. write all my, no, I took my GED when I was 18. Oh, so, so you, you took a GED. I took my GED. So okay. I got my and husband. you passed it. Yeah, I did. Like, okay. first try. So, um, so they did well enough that yeah. you passed the GED, because from what I've heard, it's not it's not easy. It's re it really wasn't. And it's, I mean, it was for me, because I'm was able to like learn throughout my year. Like <laughs> Some of the most intelligent, articulate, and amazing people that I've met have been people that were educated in unorthodox or alternative ways. So, okay, you've gotten your GED, did you, okay, so, and which is not very long because you're 25. Mm -hmm. So did you start at UCB right after that? Did you want to do stand-up? How, how did, how did you become who you the triple who I am, the, where the, I am. The, yeah. the triple S thread at your quarter century? Well, I thought I was gonna be an artist. I was gonna I a was, visual artist. Um, yeah, I was a painter, and uh, I she I know violin. I she can. paints. You still do cartwheels? I I did used to do cartwheels. I can't do it anymore because okay. my body's fucked up. Oh. But um, yeah, that's I used to. My sister used to do gymnastics, and I wasn't allowed in the class because okay. I was too young. You paint. You sing. Yeah. You 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 do cart. You you did gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically when I, after I got my GD, I was in a conservatory, an acting conservatory program. So like after Which one? I, uh, Stella Adler Conservatory. Oh, wow, that's pretty prestigious. We were, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we yeah. want to talk about that because, you know, not, not everybody that applies to that gets in. Well, I was doing their inner city program, and I got a scholarship because I was an inner city kid to talk, do their... Let's talk about the inner city program, because yeah, yeah. This, there might be someone listening that wants to get into acting and, like, says, well, how do I apply? So explain that. Well, the inner city program, was, it's called the Outreach Program at Stella Adler Studio, and it is a program that you do acting classes, like movement and voice and speech, two days a week. And, and how did you find out about it? I, a friend of mine from music who was really interested in acting sent it to me because I was always just like, I want to be an actress, I want to be an actress. It was just like, I wanted to be everything and I didn't know what to focus on. And she sent it to me and I told my mom, I was about uh, I was about 15, so I was like, mom, can you please call this place? And then I got an interview to do it. And I remember in my interview, I like started crying because I was just like, I really want to express myself in this way, but I don't know how to do it and I don't know what to do about it. And I think maybe they felt bad. <laughs> That's why they accepted wow. me. But um, I was in that program for two years. And then I'd kind of put painting and music to the side because I was like, I really want to be a performer. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I. How old were you when you finished the program? Uh, uh, I was 18. Oh, 17, wow. 18. Wow. Were they sending you out like on castings and stuff? No, basically it was just so like, you were taking you were taking classes. Oh, okay. And then I just felt I loved the community. I loved being involved. I loved um, I loved I loved doing it because it challenged me in a way. It, I was very scared to do it. And um, the 
uh, artistic director, I remember being like, I really would like to do the conservatory, and I guess their rule was that they would like award a certain amount of scholarships to the inner city students who like wanted to do the do the uh, conservatory program, and I was one of them. I think because I bothered him a lot, I would like email him every week, being like, I'm really interested. Like I'm graduating soon. Please let me do it. And I, you know, I, I'm I'm a person who's gotten things because I'm pretty persistent, and I think. Um, I either wear people down or they see that I have something. I think I mostly wear people down. <laughs> but um, yeah, so then I was able to do the the uh, conservatory program, and that was like an amazing thing to do. It was very hard because I don't recommend necessarily doing an acting program if you're 18 and don't know who you are and are have have a whole bunch of other issues going on with yourself because your teachers, you're in classrooms in a conservatory program with adults from different backgrounds that have already done. So it was done. all different ages? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just teens? Mm -mm. So you were in there with like like people in their 30s and 40s? Yeah, man. Like Daniel. I, yeah, yeah, so I'm like trying to hold on for your life and I, I like all these people had had their masters, you know, well, in like performing arts. Well, never mind that, like I would think that it would be very difficult for a teen to be able to access certain emotional mm -hmm. places that somebody who has a decade or more of life experience, mm -hmm. you know, because everything is still new when yeah. you're a teenager. I think it's it's one of the things that I, I didn't know how to access those emotions because I learned to keep them all down mm. in, that, in life and be told, don't talk about this, you know, don't yeah. cry because you're a baby, whatever. And when I started the program, I'm seeing all these people excel and then like cry in scenes and then are able to like go and have a hot dog after. Right. And I'm so just, that's the thing that you can't do easily when you're young. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, because like I, I was at the most depressed I'd ever been when I was doing this program. And I was just like, I don't know, like I felt like I was dying a little bit because I was accessing all these dark parts of myself that I didn't know existed. Like I didn't even know that I could go to therapy at that time. Like I didn't know that that was something you should do if you were feeling these feelings. So yeah, that was that was pretty hard. But I really I learned a lot. I learned how to act. I'm I'm a pretty decent actress, and um, I just didn't. I I love acting. I hate auditioning. Oh, <laughs> everybody hate, hates auditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, I want to find the person that likes auditioning. I know that person is crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I just. And, but I also discovered that I really like to produce things. I really like to bring people together. I really like to bring positive experiences to another person, which is what I've, I found in like stand-up and storytelling because it's like a, um, it's something that comes m more naturally to me than being in a room full of actors trying to like mm. be another actor. It's, it's almost a little bit more human. No, I, to me. I totally understand yeah. that. Like you, I am a connector also. I love connecting people. Like if I see somebody that I think would work well with somebody else, I want to go. Yeah, basically I'm just like suction cupping them together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. be friends now. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So when did you start with stand-up? I did stand up how? once. Okay, so at Stella Adler, we had a like open mic night for all the theater people that the NYU 
a part of the conservatory put on and I, I'm somebody who like inserts myself in different communities so I literally was just like oh like we're not in the same classes but I, like I was friends with NYU kids so I was like I want to do the open mic and they're like oh do you want to do a monologue and I'm like I think I'm going to do stand-up and I'd never done stand-up And what before. made you say that? What made you want to do the stand-up? I had always had it in my mind. Like, I, I was always just, like, I liked being funny. Like, I was the funny one. Like, I was the one who struggled to be serious in a serious scene. Like, if I was crying because my baby died, like, I'd laugh about it because I'm like, you can't, I'm going to kill myself if I keep, like, crying in this scene, you oh know? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so I, was, I you know, thought... I'd try it. So I wrote like a like three-page bullshit thing that was terrible about turning 18. And then I killed. I was so good because everyone was nice to me. And then I did another open mic after that, and I was terrible. So then I didn't do it again for three years. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I was like, I can't. Yeah, it, it was really bad. But you do it now regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm doing a show later that I'm doing stand-up at. And... Um, it wasn't until la a year and a half, almost two years ago, that I was like, I'm going to do stand-up. And then I started doing stand-up at this club in the West Village and, you Which know. One? The Lantern. Oh, okay, yeah, I think that's a place where a lot of up-and-coming people, yeah, like, yeah, will, will yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. This guy, Craig Fox, is really good about booking people and, like, helps them learn how to produce and stuff. And I used to have a mic there, and it's, it's a really cool place. Um, they have really good shows there. And I, you know, just do open mics different places. And then um, when I started working at the job that I work at now, I was producing content for them. And I, like, discovered that I really like producing and, you know, doing comedy-related things. And, um, yeah, so I think right now, like, after all of that stuff, like, every artistic thing, like, music, painting, acting, you know, writing, like, it's all a part of me now. Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure out, like, what is going to give me money, but... <laughs> I know. Holla. Yeah. That, that, girl, yeah. that is the dilemma yeah. of, of the working artist. But, yeah. like, but you have, but you see you're on the right path because mm -hmm. you've, yeah. you found a day job that you can morally live with. Yeah. That pays you a living wage. Yeah. And that offers, so, offers some support to you for your life job, mm -hmm. because that's how I call it. I call it the day job mm -hmm. and the life job. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it's a blessing. It you is. Know, I, I feel I, I'm very grateful. Yeah, no, I have I have a day job that is all that for me, and I am I I, I thank El Senor for it all the time because mm -hmm. you know it, it allows me to pursue the pa my passions, which is like talking to you. Yeah, I love you. So storytelling. How mm -hmm. did you get into that? Storytelling, um, I think it was because I Googled um, other stand-up things. Like, I literally Googled, because I'm not very... My jokes that I write are very storytelling-based. Like, it's not like joke, punchline, joke, mm. punchline. It's kind of like, there are a lot of things that attribute to this funny thing, you know? Um, and um, I did this festival when I was at Stella Adler that was called the Dirt Festival, and it was like student-created... And I did a um, spoken word piece, spoken word storytelling piece called I Found Something. And it was 10 minutes long. And it was uh, just about like who I was, like where I came from, like my family and all that stuff. And I remember feeling it was like very cathartic. And I felt like it was the first time that my peers saw me 
for who I was mm. and not just like this little girl who was like trying to be everybody's friends, you know? Yeah. Like I remember one of my classmates coming to me and being like like crying, being like that was beautiful. And I'm just like, you've never spoken to me before, like what the fuck is happening? And you're like, what did I do? Yeah. Like what is this power in me? Yeah. Be- totally. That's, it's almost like when That's like you some do- profound shit, dude. Yeah, I really I I believe everything you're saying to be true and I I think it's like when people like you and I show that part of ourselves. The vulnerability. The vulnerability. The vulnerability. Because we're so hard on the outside. We're like a turtle. There's like yeah. this hard Mama exterior. crab. Okay, well, you're, you're, I'm a fish. I don't know okay. what that is. No, blo- but it's, like a blowfish. Yeah. Like them fishes I'm, with I'm the spines. Yeah, 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 basically. So I'll, I'll just like deflect, deflect, deflect. And people are like, okay, she's a bitch or she's like, whatever. Um, especially when I was younger, and then when you show that party, that vulnerability, yeah. they're like, you're fucking human. Yeah, like and people think like, I always want to fight them. I know. <laughs> I, relate to, I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh my God, like I love, how, I, I could not love you more. I love you so much. Oh my God. So, okay, so storytelling, storytelling and, and producing. So um, do you think you could tell us a little bit of that story, that spoken word thing about where you were from? Like, do you remember an excerpt from it? Oh my God, um, that's a hard one to do, but I can tell you another story okay. about give, where I'm from. Give, give us a little expert, excerpt, uh, excerpt. excerpt. I'm an expert okay, on myself. Okay, we, we, we've been <laughs> drinking a glass of wine. Yes. It's, it's three quarters of the way done. Oh my God. Excerpt. So basically, when I was, um, when I was about 16, 15, 16, my family and I went out on a day on the city and we normally wouldn't go down past 59th Street because, like, you're from the Heights. Like, there's no reason to go past 59th Street. You know what I mean? Um, so my, my sister was about to go to college um, that September. And it was in the middle of the summer, but w- she was about to go to college in September. And my dad was, like, mourning for the loss of his child, for the loss of his oldest daughter. And which was so funny to me because she was going to be commuting to SUNY Purchase from home. And, you know, he's just like a dramatic man. So he decided we were going to go out and explore the city this day. And I remember we went out and first of all, going on the train with my father was like always an ordeal because he wanted to be the center of attention even in public. So if we got on the train, he announced that he was on the train. And my sister was just so embarrassed, like stop. And my mother just like didn't say anything. My little brother is laughing at how funny my dad is. And I'm just like looking around at all these people that I grew up with thinking like, who are they? How do they relate to each other? We'd always been in the middle of World War III, as I would call it, because we were always fighting, there was always conflict in the family. But apparently this was the day that we would come together in my mind. So we went down to the East Village um, that my dad thought we were going to the West Village, So, which was a, a point that he should have um, put together because my mother was just like, we can't go to Thompson Square Park. They're crackheads. <laughs> we can't bring our kids where crackheads are. And so we went and I was first time I saw crackheads and I was just like, this is insane. We hung out around the, the park. You know, we saw another family there with their baby and then I knew we were safe. And then we ended up taking a walk to the West Village where we originally were planning to go. And my father took my sister, brother, and I into every single head shop on the block on West 4th Street. And the guys, w- w- there was one head shop that we went into that the, the owner or the guy who's working there, 
his face was so mortified <laughs> that there were children in the shop and my dad was explaining like what a bong was and what this different pipe was because you know we might need to know one day and my mother is like what is happening you can't do show our kids that but the thing is my dad had a very fancy bong on the top of our bookshelf our, my entire life that he called a vase <laughs> so he was finally showing us what he really enjoyed <laughs> in life. And so basically, we, we, we go through the whole day. We're, we're, it was the first time in a long time that, some, that nobody was fighting, and I was really grateful for it. And um, I learned that my family just needed to find that moment all the time, and we couldn't just find it. That is amazing. I wish we had time to hear the rest of that story. Oh my God. Becca, we didn't even talk about your solo performing. <laughs> we didn't get to the third S. So how did you get into solo performing? Did you like, I what just, made you segue into that? Nobody was casting me, so I was like, I have a story to tell. You and did I your own work. I did my you own did work. Your, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. This, this is the story that happens again and again when I interview people. It's like, nobody knows what to do with me. I'm Latin, I'm black. I'm gay, I'm disabled. No one, they look at me and they're like, we don't know what to do with you, so you do your own work. And we do our own work. And I'm gonna tell you this, I had a casting director teacher when I was in school at Stella Adler tell me, I don't know if you're gonna get work because of how you look. And you know what, until the default changes, it's gonna stay that way, and this yep. is why we have to change the default. Yep. Girl, yes. we're changing yes. it, we're cha okay, so. Um, in so if you had, and this, I think this is going to be really significant because you're so young. Mm -hmm. So if you could say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. If you could say one thing to the child that's sitting in their little bedroom or staring out the window at the fire escape in the Heights or in Brooklyn or in a small town anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world looking at a bayou, looking at an empty lot, looking at a burnt out city, just looking into the sky and wants to be some type of artist, but everybody in society and mm -hmm. everyone they know is telling them that they can't and that they don't have the right to try to become something more than what society says that they should aspire to be. Mm -hmm. What would you tell that child? The voice that you hear and you talk to yourself in is right. I love you, Becca. I love you. Kiss in the air. <laughs> thank you. That, that, yeah, thank we you. Made for out. No. Yeah, we made out. Yeah, there was the wine. Vino, Vino Verde made us do it. I know. All right, thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua. I love you. Becca Beberaji is busy. On Sunday, November 19th, she will be in the Pitt Solo Comedy Festival called SoloCom with a new solo show called Gooey. That is Sunday, November 19th at 12 noon, and she'll be at the Tank on Saturday, December 2nd at 7 p.m., sharing an evening of new material, which I'm going to assume is stand-up, with Matt Hunziker. So put those two dates in your calendar now. And here's another one of Becca's song picks.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the B-52s with Dance This Mess Around from their 1979 album, The B-52s. The same album that we opened with, with B-52 Girls. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't, and this was like so totally meta and not planned that Becca picked the B-52s and I just felt like opening with them because I loved them. So all I could say is, great minds think alike. Winky dinky, Becca. So we have a couple of announcements to make. Um, One is, I'm not sure if you guys know, but Radio Free Brooklyn is co-producing monthly shows at the Great Footlights Performance Space. And Fish Out of Agua is going to be one of them. Woohoo! On Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m., you're going to be able to see and hear longer stories from several of the guest artists we've had this season, which is almost over. It's going to be Gaston Almonte and Susan Kent and Sydney Washington, Atlanta Lancaster and David Hugh. My God, it's going to like a story five. It's a storytelling fivefecta. Once again, that's Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m. at Footlight, 465 Seneca Avenue in, well, is it Ridgewood or is it, is it Bushwick? Whichever neighborhood it is, it's a short walk from the L Train's decalp stop. Tickets are just $5, and you'll get stories, trivia, prizes, maybe even a few surprises. And if you like hanging out on Monday nights, feel free to stick around for the New York City talent show immediately following. And speaking of sticking around, <laughs> if you like this show, Fish Out of Agua, or any of the other fine shows that you can hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, why not consider making an end-of-year or holiday donation or sponsorship? Hey, maybe your day job is at one of those places that matches a donation. If so, that would be fantastic because you would support living artists, which is one of the coolest things that you could do. Trust us, kids. And it's so easy to either sponsor or donate. Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, look for the Donate tab, and just you know click on it and drop down and follow the prompts, and that's how you do it. Wow. It's that easy to sponsor a living artist. Well, kids, that's our show. This has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we're going to close with another one of Becca's song picks. And, you know, we talked a lot about being a solo performer in, in, our, in our interview. But, you know, it, we're not really solo with this. No, I mean, we may be on stage alone, but to get there, you can't do anything without a little help from your friends as sung by Joe Cocker from the Legends Get It On album back in 1968. See yous next week! Would you stand up and walk out on me? 